On this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy Know It All, we have terrifying rabbits and an even more terrifying youth minister? Question mark. <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I am Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. As previewed, we are talking about a classic 1972 horror film called Night of the Lepus, as well as a new horror mockumentary, though maybe it's not actually a horror film, called (laughs) Youth Men. Short for Youth Ministry, a horror film for all those who live through a youth ministry of some sort during <laughs> approximately the early 2000s. So like Paul Squarely, me. Exactly. You. I, you know, I can already picture who you would have been in this particular youth men scenario. Three, two, one, we'll say his name. Do you remember his name? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know his name. I forget okay. all the names. Oh, Paul. Paul and his forgetfulness. Yes, I, as Paul looks up the names, if he is looking up the names, he is. I can see it in his glasses. As Paul <laughs> looks up the names, <laughs> this is, uh, Youthman is a film about an overzealous youth pastor who's pastoring a small youth ministry in uh, circa the 2000 aughts, the 2000s, which is right when I was coming of age as an adolescent. And although my own youth ministry was a little bit larger than the one portrayed in Youth Men, there were many things that struck me in this mockumentary that we will be talking about later uh, with the people behind it. We're talking with the to actual directors and writers. Right. It's very kind of exciting. And star of in star. Youth Men. Yes, it's very exciting. So I'm I'm kind of thinking. I'm not seeing the pictures of these people, but I'm thinking it was Derek. Derek? No. The athletic guy? Mark. Mark is like the jock. The jock. That would be you. Guess who who I would be? Who plays the guitar and, you know, gets the ladies. Exactly. Well, thinks he gets the ladies. That does sound a lot like you, actually. You would have been Steven. Am I right? How did you know? How did you know? intuition and also the millions of times you've told me how much you don't like to talk (laughs) and here i am talking 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 once again like we do every two weeks you've really bloomed steven (laughs) i'm not quite as um serial killy as i used to be oh good about talking so i am glad for that or else i would be dead (laughs) and i wouldn't have anything to be glad about at that point (laughs) since i'd be dead before we get to our interview with the crew from Youth Men, before we get to the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours, it's time for a Hurt So Good segment covering 1972's Night of the Lepus. I'm not going to lie to you, Paul. Every time I say Night of the Lepus, I want to say Lepus. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's how the original Latin goes. 
See, I, I always want to say Night of the Lepus. Lepus. Yeah, like a bunch of, is that the plural for lepers? Lepus. It could be. According to legend, Paul, we don't, hard to tell whether or not this is true because it comes from the film Wikipedia that is IMDb. The film was actually originally entitled Night of the Lepers, and it was about zombie-like lepers who, in a mass plague, and it was supposed to be a riff on the success of Night of the Living Dead. But the executive at MGM who was first reading the script, he had taken it home, eaten dinner, looking over a new script, spilled some wine and food on it, and uh, then he confused the word leper with lepus and (laughs) joked with his teenage daughter about a movie with killer rabbits and – Surprise, surprise, she loved the idea, and the scriptwriter was then commissioned to heavily edit the plot. <laughs> I think that is completely a lie. It could completely be. Completely a lie. It could be, but we'll further it with this hearsay. <laughs> I, do think, I do think Night of the Lepers would have been a scarier movie than Night of the Lepus. It, probably so, because rabbits are sort of famously herbivores. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also somewhat notoriously adorable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so here's the real story according to Wikipedia, the Wikipedia of Wikipedia. <laughs> the script for Night of the Lepus was Lepus was based on the Australian author Russell Brandon's science fiction novel The Year of the Angry Rabbit. I can understand why they would have changed the title. Um, A.C. Lyles, known for producing Western films, would make Night of the Lepus, Lepus his first and only science fiction production. To craft the film, he pulled together people he had worked with on other Westerns. So there you go. And I think that they changed the name from Angry Rabbit to Lepus so that they could lure people in, not, not telling them that the big, bad monsters here were bunnies. Yes. Cute bunnies. This is true. It's also according to the trivia on IMDb that that is actually the case. They were a little bit worried that the title featuring rabbits. In fact, none of the posters or trailers included rabbits at all because they were afraid that nobody would take the movie seriously, which maybe should have been their concern (laughs) during development and script drafting and approval. Anyways. Yeah. Maybe there should have been some alarm bells going off well before this actually made it to screen. So, so just to uh, just to let our readers know this or our listeners know, this was actually a movie that Jake and I watched together with a really? bunch of other people. This was part of our- my rolling chair. Is <laughs> I was so excited, my rolling chair took off. <laughs> This was actually part of a bad movie party that we had over at my place. We had a bunch of other people. And that means that the the plot is a little bit hazy for me. I mean, usually when I do the uh, the plot summaries for these, I, I have a fairly good idea of what happened. But this, it's a little bit hazy. I know that we saw some newsreels of lots and lots of rabbits hitting a fence. And then there were some scientists who talked. And then there was a little girl who switched rabbits that one was apparently experimented on, changed it for a regular rabbit, but she took the experimental rabbit home with her, except she didn't get it home because this mean boy made her drop it and it ran into a burrow and immediately grew 20 foot tall and had a bunch of other rabbits. I mean, is that kind of what you got out of it, Jake? Yeah. I mean, it, the the premise to spur all of that onward is that there's a rabbit 
infestation, screwing over all the farmers. They want to just bomb with fire and uh, basically they want to napalm all the rabbits. But some scientists from a university say we have a more environmentally friendly way of doing it. We'll give a drug to the rabbits that basically will turn them into transgender rabbits and they'll spread it amongst each other the way rabbits do. And uh, a little, but they they got to do that in a lab first to make sure it works. But a little girl puts one of the switches, one of the rabbits, puts it out in the wild. And not only does the, the drug not work, it actually seems to make the rabbits more fertile and more right. horny because they multiply and grow huge within 24 hours. 24 hours. It is a quick turnaround for these rabbits. Yeah, they are they are procreating at a, a really impressively inhuman and unbunny like rate. Even even though rabbits are known for their procreative work. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, it's it, it. They. I think that maybe they injected these rabbits with like some sort of sea turtle mm. DNA. Interesting. And, Maybe these rabbits spawned from the eggs, you know, the 10,000 eggs that, mm-hmm. that sea turtles tend to lay in their, the holes that they make. Usually one or two survive, but, you know, giant rabbits, they have no, they have no natural enemies. And so all 10,000 of them were able to run rampant on this Western area, Western Good. area. Yeah. I mean, including Colorado where we live at some point. Yeah. You know what I would like to see a movie of? Hmm. Jackalopes. Jackalopes? I think that would be great. Isn't there a picture R short about a jackalope? No. No? No. <laughs> I think there is. I think you're wrong. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's a dancing sheep. Is that what you're thinking of? The dancing cheered no. sheep? No, I'm right. Surely you're wrong. I'll find it. While you tell me, Paul, what, what struck you the most watching Night of the Lepus? Lepus. Well, number one, I think the the main thing that I came away from the movie with is that it is really impossible to make real bunny rabbits look fearsome. Mm. I mean, they splashed these creatures with blood. They made them huge. They put like these frightening little noises. And of course you see dead bodies everywhere. These rabbits have become like a, like these carnivorous beasts that destroy people. They invade these shops. Um, they tear apart people, even though the people are very much whole, they were just sort of splashed with blood. But yeah, when we saw the, the rabbits on the rampage, they just didn't look very scary, not very scary at all. And the whole, I don't know, the whole environmental message of the movie sort of got lost at the end with how they eventually dealt with the rabbits. Not to give anything away, but I think that, you know, maybe the uh, plan A would have been more kind to both the rabbits and the environment. That's where I wonder if it was almost an anti-environmentalist film. Go ahead and napalm those rabbits. Yeah, I think really the film was meant to show that, hey, all of these cockamamie ideas about how to nicely deal with these sorts of problems are truly more horrific and will lead to a mass slaughter of rabbits on an unprecedented scale. Whereas if you just let us do it on a small scale, at least no humans will be threatened and torn apart by killer rabbits i do think that if you could figure out how to ranch those gigantic rabbits though i mean it would solve a lot of world hunger problems right i mean 
Now you're talking about the premise of a different horror film, The Feet of the Gods, <laughs> where you know these Canadian people like they go to hunt in Canada and they discover this island with all these large animals because some dude was experimenting to solve the world hunger problem by making animals bigger. So there you go. There you go. There you go. It, so you the, know, you know the problem with that though, from the true environmentalist perspective, is that large animals are notoriously here. I keep coming back to this phrase. They're notoriously. Um, they need a lot of resources. Yeah, they're grow. not very efficient. They, they don't, are not very efficient. Yeah, yeah. And these these giant rabbits. One thing that was really notable to me in this film, Paul, was how these giant rabbits weren't actually eating humans. They were just yeah. leaving them dead and smeared with blood. <laughs> just leaving them dead. So they were still eating grass, I guess. Just lots and lots and lots and lots of grass. These were very wasteful bunnies. Not only were they. <laughs> eating all of the grass. They were also just killing humans, not even using them for food. I mean, that talk about food waste. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to say that I think the scariest moment in the film didn't involve rabbits at all. It was just that little girl. That little girl could have been in a horror movie all by herself. She was, she was kind of creepy looking. I mean, I hate to, to say that a little girl is creepy looking, but she kind of was. They, and, they massacred her eyebrows. Yeah. And, and when you pair that with the haircut she's got and then the voice dub, just rough. It was just rough. And and she sometimes spoke without moving her mouth. It did have sort of an exorcist type of flavor to it, you know? Mm. And uh, I did find her to be pretty creepy at times. But this had a really, actually, pretty impressive cast. It had... It had Janet Lee, who was, of course, from Psycho, uh, Stuart Whitman, Rory Calhoun, DeForest Kelly, who we all remember from Star Trek. He was the doctor on Star Trek. Dr. McCoy. So it had some really recognizable people. Um, I don't quite know what they saw in this movie to actually appear in it. I I do kind of wonder, Paul, do you think they were sort of hoping for their – the birds moment. Yeah. I, 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 there's that sense to me that they were hoping for this to be something of a slow burn and to take something that most of us don't view as terrifying and create this foreboding presence with the sounds and the menace of a previously pretty normal and innocuous animal and where the birds really succeeded because Alfred Hitchcock knows something about human <laughs> psychology and how to build tension and storytelling, this film massively failed in every respect because there's no tension built. And unlike, you know, birds do have, they can be made creepy. I oh, came away from creepy. this film convinced that it's really tough to make creepy rabbits unless you put a human in a rabbit costume. <laughs> which actually did happen in this film and was the creepiest rabbit scene in the whole film are the cuts where you see, oh, that's a human in a rabbit outfit rather <laughs> yeah. than a rabbit on a miniature set. I tell you, if I saw a human in a rabbit costume walking down the street, I would be a little nervous. It's true. So to come back real quick, we were both right about the jackalope thing. There is a sheep in the short, but it is a Pixar short. and it, the There sheep- is a jackalope? comes across a benevolent jackalope that teaches the sheep the merits of bounding. Yeah, I must have blocked out the jackalope. Yeah, the jackalope's sort of a really important part of the short. It <laughs> ran before 
The Incredibles. There's your extra bit of trivia. There you go. There you go. That was Almost. one of my least favorite Pixar shorts, actually. I didn't like that very much. Well, there you go. So, so what did you find the scariest part of Night of the Lepus? For me, the scariest part was imagining having to watch the film alone. This, <laughs> we talk a lot about with Hurt So Good how much better some films can really just hurt so good no matter who you are, where you are, how you're watching them. China Salesman was a great China example Salesman. of that. Yeah. Uh, Night of the Lepus did not feel like that to me. That was one of the things that struck me as we were watching it was this would have been really rough without a crowd to watch it with. Oh my goodness. It would have been very difficult. It was I thought it was super fun actually watching it with everybody. Yes. But watching it just in a room by yourself, it would have been long, it would have been painful. It had just a weird you know, this is this is one of those movies and we've had this discussion on this podcast before. Um this was a movie that took itself very seriously. Mm-hmm. Even though it was about giant rabbits, it took itself very seriously. And I think one of the problems with it is that it was a really terrible movie, but it had just enough sheen of competence in it that it didn't it didn't really have that just crazy off the wall terrible vibe that that say a man of hands of fate does or plan nine from outer space does it just it just felt really bad and yet not bad enough to really enjoy by yourself about two-thirds of it feels as though you're watching a probably sea level slow western ranch movie where you have a lot of technically scenic shots and dialogue about stuff you don't really care about and it's moving at a slow pace and then it's sprinkled in with crazy shots of rabbits with ketchup smeared on their face or <laughs> you know things of that nature and so so adorable so, so adorable they, they're truly very cute rabbits they were very cute rabbits and so you're you're just sort of left with too much time in between the crazy that feels like, ah, this is just a really boring ranch kind of film. Yeah. Yeah. And and as I was watching it, I was seriously trying to rack my brain to think of an animal that would be cuter than a rabbit to, to put in a horror movie. What would be less suitable than a rabbit? And I thought about hedgehogs because they're really super adorable. They are. But they've got the spines, right? In like little tiny, you could chicks. weaponize those. You could weaponize those little tiny baby chicks. They are super cute, but man, they grow up into these horrible chickens. Yeah. You know, guinea pigs yeah, maybe. Guinea pigs are pretty adorable. They're pretty adorable, but see, I knew somebody who had a guinea pig, and that guinea pig was not adorable at all. Oh, it had you an ugly. You met an yeah. ugly guinea pig. It was it was a terribly ugly guinea pig, and it always had diarrhea. So it was, it was really just a bad, bad <laughs> guinea pig. That is a horror film I would watch. I would not watch it. So just to just to emphasize the point that that rabbits, bunny rabbits, are not necessarily the best thing to have in horror movies. Um, Janet Lee actually had this to say 
um, about her participation in this movie. She said, no one put a gun to my head and said I had to do it. What no one realized was that no matter what you do, a bunny rabbit is a bunny rabbit. A rat, that can be medicine, so can a frog. Spiders or scorpions or alligators, they could all work in that situation, and they have. But a bunny rabbit, how can you make a bunny rabbit menacing? If only she had thought of this before she made the movie. Well, and apparently she really didn't because reportedly she did not allow either of her daughters to be in the film because she was didn't want them to be in uh, – to be a part of making a horror film. And, uh, you know – Little to her knowledge, her daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis, would break out in the movie Halloween just a few years later. You know, isn't that an irony? I think as parents, we can really appreciate how, how we try to do the best for our kids, and they always, they always betray us somewhere along the line. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, she made gazillions of dollars betraying what her mom wanted her to do, but yep. still. There you go. Night of the Lepus, it's from 1972. If you can get a crowd together, I do recommend it as a Hurt So Good film. I'd put it at about a negative five and a half if you've got a crowd. Maybe a negative two and a half if you don't have a crowd. I negative would, I 10 say, being the best. I would honestly say of all the movies that not, – not the Hurt So Good movies. I do think China Salesman is the, is the gold standard for what mm. we've done. The movies that we've personally seen in bad movie parties, I would say that this ranked second – to troll two in, oh, wow. in terms of just my enjoyment level of the evening it was watching it with the crowd exactly so i would i would say this is a negative six and a half a negative seven okay you know for me but yeah you really do have to have people watching it with you for it to be enjoyable that's our heard so good rating and review of night of the lepus have you seen it do you plan on seeing it do you have any questions about it you can always catch up with us on Twitter, I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. But now it's time for our interview with the most terrifying youth minister you'll see on the silver screen if you happen to watch a movie called Youth Men. That's right. We're talking with the crew, the creators, the directors, the stars, the writers of Youth Men. who's been listening to Jake and I for a while know that we like quirky. Youth Men, a mockumentary now available to rent on Amazon Prime and iTunes and lots of other sources, is definitely quirky. A small, fun, provocative film made on, would it be fair to say, a shoestring budget um, by our guests. We have with us Jeff Ryan, the star and director of the movie, and Christopher O'Donnell, who wrote the movie. Welcome, both of you. Really excited to have you guys on. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. So I, the first thing I wanted to ask, you know, I think that, that anyone who makes movies has got to be a movie lover, right? So yeah. we're obviously coming through this this time of the coronavirus, COVID, where none of us have been able to go to, to movie theaters for a long, long time. But we've seen lots and lots and lots of movies come to streaming services. Can you tell me what... For both of you, what's the best movie you've seen during the 15 months that we've been locked down with COVID? Oh, man. Oh, man. I've watched so many movies this year. It's disgusting. <laughs> Jeff, it's Youthman, though, right? 
<laughs> no, it's not. It it's not, Chris. I should have prefaced this, not your own movie. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, Chris. Sorry. <laughs> Does it have to be a oh, new man. movie? You I know, don't think it has to be a new movie. It doesn't have to be a new movie. Anything that you've seen for the first time, though. It can't be like, I watched Casablanca for the 47th time, and it was right. really still very good. Sure. Well, I, I sp- for me, this 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 COVID time period has been like one of uh, you know stress, and a lot of these a lot of these like really adventuresome uh, take you out of the moment movies have been just I've been eating them up. You know, like Godzilla versus Kong, which everyone you know knew about. It's so dumb, but it was so great to just not be <laughs> present for two hours. <laughs> and then, like the other day, I watched Blade Two for the first time, and I loved it. It was. Amazing. I had, can't believe I never saw it before. So I think for me, the, the kind of the ones that made me forget that I was stuck inside for a long time period have really like helped me uh, cope, I guess. Yeah, totally hear that. Huh. Um, yeah, I guess I would say for myself. Well, I, I, I always have to say this. I watch Michael Clayton probably every night. Um, I think it's disgusting. I know, but I truly, I tell everyone about it and everyone tells me they don't even like the movie and they tell me to shut up, but I think it's so fantastic. And I even make custom soundscapes with that soundtrack because it's so good. Um, you are kidding. No, I'm not. I I actually could send all of you multiple versions of it. It's truly pathetic. I think you have to. Um, I think I know. I I really do. I need to make it available for everyone as well. Uh, Verbal verbal contract. We'll hold you to it. Okay. Deal. Um, I guess this one's a little embarrassing to say it's the first time I saw it, but uh, I watched an American werewolf in London and I was like blown away by it. And I just like told everyone and they were like, Oh, you haven't seen that? Like, yeah, it's, it's great. And I was like, Oh yeah. Uh, well I'm late to it, but I was in love with it. And yeah, it's, it's been great. I've been watching a lot of horror movies in like the morning at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. And it's just the worst decision ever. But that's, you know, kind of been my, my headspace lately. That is really a terrible, terrible decision. That is not when I would be watching horror movies. I can guarantee yeah, it's, you. Yeah, uh, my wife doesn't like horror movies. So it's like the only time I, I have to watch them. Jeff, I totally feel your pain. My, I really like horror movies. My wife doesn't. Jake doesn't. Right. I keep. I force him to watch a horror movie every Halloween just, just to keep him sort of <laughs> in the holiday spirit. But it's really hard to make him watch it. He gets. He gets yeah. very scared. He gets. I'll very say scared. though. I'll say though. I actually might be able to get behind this idea of watching a horror movie at four or five in the morning because then as it finishes, the sun is rising. So yeah, maybe there's a little exactly. Like you can, you can feel the hope. Yeah. Famously, my terrible decision in high school was hearing everybody talk about how amazing Silence of the Lambs was. And so I watched it at like midnight to 2 a.m. and mm-hmm. spent, you know, until sunrise, spent the next several hours with all the lights on the house on, <laughs> terrified <laughs> that I was going to be murdered from behind by Buffalo Bill. <laughs> oh, that might be my favorite movie of all time. That movie oh, is just so incredible. Creepy. So not, creepy. Not Michael Clayton. <laughs> I, Michael Clayton's up there, but it's not all time. <laughs> Obviously, Youth Men is not a horror movie, although maybe it sort of is. I mean, for some of the kids <laughs> involved there. Um, set up the movie if you could. Just tell us a little bit about what the movie is about. Chris, do it. Oh, okay, fine. So, um, we the movie is a mockumentary style uh, film about a group of teenagers who go to Bible camp, 
and uh, which I believe is kind of a uniquely uh, American experience, um, the sort of evangelical youth group um, dynamic. Um, where you, don't you think go there are a lot of those to, in Russia? I don't think I don't think they do this in Russia. I'm not positive, <laughs> but maybe. And uh, we we've gotten a lot of comments like it's kind of like the office goes to Bible camp. Um, <laughs> their youth pastor is completely inept. Uh, he has a really good heart. You know, he wants to do what's right, um, but he's just an absolute uh, idiot. And teenagers <laughs> are teenagers. They have uh, they have their own problems they're trying to deal with. And now they have to go and uh, try to prove, you know, subtly that they're the best Christians uh, possible um, under the tutelage of a barely older than them college grad. And this is probably the right time to say that you mispronounced mockumentary. This is actually a documentary about Jeff's life, right? <laughs> it, it Correct. Is. <laughs> Jeff, weren't you almost a youth pastor? I was, yes. I, I went to college hoping to be a youth pastor because I had a blast growing up in youth group. And, you know, I thought, man, well, I like loved playing sports and stuff. So maybe I could do that as a living. And, you know, maybe kids would, you know, relate with me. And then I interned one summer as a youth pastor and I just sucked at so bad. <laughs> I was like, I was like the guy who was like, I'm exactly Pastor D, honestly, in real life. I was like hyper competitive. And I was like, oh, you kids think you could beat me in basketball? Like, no way. And, you know, they'd be like, Jeff, like, take it easy on dodgeball. Like, it's about like the kids growing. I was like, well, they should learn from their pain. <laughs> it was just it was the worst. So I, I immediately switched out of that major and I was like, OK, uh, let's figure something else out. Maybe we'll try making movies and That's see if that works. That's really <laughs> hilarious. I had no idea that, that because you play Pastor D in this movie. I had no idea that the character was so close to your heart. So, yeah, it's kind of a mix of Ariel, uh, the other director of the movie, who's who's not here on the podcast right now. Uh, Chris and I's all like different experience growing up. It's definitely yeah. a mix. Like it's a hybrid of all three of us. And I did want to ask you about that. You mentioned we had talked a little bit, Jeff, via email that that a lot of the people involved with this movie came out of youth group. They had had their own youth group experiences. Um, this obviously, as you watch it, it's clearly not a Christian movie. You would not actually show youth men in youth ministry. But it does have some really interesting points, I thought, to, to make about about sort of that youth ministry experience that, that you show uh, here, because, you know, a lot of it hit pretty close to my own youth experience, too. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of why you felt that that the youth ministry culture was such ripe material for for a mockumentary. I mean, Chris might have might have like a slightly different take. I feel at this point we could probably like speak each other's language, um, <laughs> but we we joked about this for years and just always kind of came back to this idea for a movie surrounding youth group just because we felt like we haven't seen it in a movie and it felt like it was just ripe for comedy and we kind of just always played around with this idea of what like a hyper competitive youth pastor would be for a movie and the movie took various forms over the years but i think for us you know we we couldn't make this movie a Christian movie. I think it would really be a disservice to like this type of movie. And especially like, I think a mockumentary gets a bad rep within the church for like advertising purposes. I would assume that people would be probably offended on the surface, but the movie we hope has a bit more of a heart to it. And we really don't come from a place of like, 
just trying to be negative about our youth experience. And a lot of us actually really enjoyed growing up in youth group. But yeah. one thing we really loved the idea of was being able to laugh at ourselves a little bit. And the movie's definitely not for everyone. And it certainly won't be, you know, there'll be people who don't like this movie for a, a variety of reasons. But I think there's definitely a subgroup of people who either grew up in the church, whether they still go to church or whether they uh, denounce their faith or something. And they really relate strongly to this movie. And a lot of people have actually reached out being uh, super grateful that someone would actually kind of shed light on some of the, the funny moments of growing up. And it felt a little more human to them versus a lot of the sugarcoating of, you know, problems in some of the movies that we've all seen. Uh, I'm sure they, they all have a place, you know, like every movie has hit someone differently, but for us, this was kind of how we navigated it. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with, with that. I mean, I think that it, that it does hit maybe for a lot of folks, maybe a little bit too close to home because you do have, you know, within, within the evangelical culture, which I'm still, I still consider myself a part of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of performance that goes on, right? You have, you have this, this need to be, you know, like, like Pastor D so eloquently sort of shows in his own attitude is you need to be part of the cool crowd. And, and kids who don't necessarily fit in that cool crowd, they kind of can get lost by the wayside. And, and it can really, it seems like sometimes there are people who really gravitate to their youth groups and their youth ministry. And there are some kids like me growing up, I would have been a Steven, who's kind of this, this isolated guy who never talks, never speaks. You think he might grow up to be a serial killer. I would have been that kid. <laughs> and, uh, so it can be just sort of this, this, uh, this strange dichotomy within, within every youth group. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the, it's one of the most unique places to go because you go in a room with a bunch of people who probably, even if you go to the same school, you may not all sit together at school but you're forced on a bus together to go to camp for a weekend. <laughs> and it's this weird bond you have. And I actually really loved it because I got to make friends with so many different people growing up in youth group. And I think there's a real positive to that. And I think there's also uh, the show, you know, like sh I feel like there, there is a pressure to kind of be on in crowd at youth group. And I think that's certainly difficult. Yeah. And I think the movie definitely kind of, Actually, I don't even know if we hit that super hard. We definitely kind of acknowledge that there's different groups of people, but we don't really get into the, the, the performance aspect as much as I think we probably could have. But Chris, you may have a different take. <laughs> the underlying principle that I, I was writing from was this weird, uh, when I went to camp, you know, the, the camp competitions where that was the draw, you know? Everyone, every different church was grouped into a different color team and you won points. And by the end, there was a big winner, you know, and it was really funny looking back, like, like, what is it with this like church group, like trying to like really make people like actually compete against each other? Like, like I would get pissed playing dodgeball <laughs> or catch the flag. And I remember it, it's pulled almost directly where the, in the scene, Pastor D loses a, loses a game and he almost drops the F-bomb. And I did that. I got <laughs> tagged out, and I let loose the loudest. You know, I needed to, like, get out my frustration, and I got, like, 
reamed out by like a camp counselor like immediately <laughs> and i was like you put me in this position where i felt like i had to swear this is your fault <laughs> and i feel like we i feel like we did that uh the pretty well the performative aspect w- would have been better with uh, like like a larger uh background cast but i think i think we totally we hit the hit what we wanted to hit with the we really just wanted to poke fun at what we had as kids, which wasn't necessarily bad for us, but it is kind of a little bit of, um, you know, a, a ridiculous style of, of teaching the Bible by throwing dodgeballs at each other and <laughs> trying to eat the most ice cream than the other team. <laughs> now, I got to ask, how much did you spend making this movie? I mean, can I ask uh, that? Is that a, is that a yeah, bad yeah, of course, yeah. It was uh, it was south of fifteen million. <laughs> so, I <laughs> know uh, we're we're very open about the the numbers and stuff like that. Uh, we sold the movie to a great company called uh, BMG Global, and that comes out in on September eighth uh, on all their platforms as well as like streaming aspects. Oh, um, and I believe the DVD will be available. Uh, in Best Buy, Target, and a few other places. Wow. Uh, I don't know if it'll be in-store. I think it'll be online at DVDs and Amazon to buy and stuff like that. But if you want collector's items, that's where you'll find them. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we made this movie for, it was like a little bit over $10,000. Wow. um, Which, you know, you could see it on screen that it costs very little. But for $10,000 is very, very little. It's to the point where like it paid... Uh, we were able to like pay to rent a camp and then we were like buying boxes of pasta and making like vats of pasta for everyone at night. And, <laughs> you know, just really, it felt like we were at camp. None of us really know what we were doing. We've made shorts before, but we were like, Oh, features like way more work. So this was pretty hard. <laughs> I remember like before takes, I would like, you know, we didn't always have an audio person. So I was like taping a laugh mic to like people's sweaty chests, like right before, like we would just go for a take. And I was like, I hope that is clean audio. It wasn't, but. (laughs) It's really incredible though, to make a movie. I mean, for $10,000 to make an entire movie, you've got to be really proud about that. Yeah, we, we really are. Honestly, we are. It was, it was such a great experience because Everyone working on the movie came from the world, whether they were, you know, an active Christian or non-Christian. Uh, it was just like such a fun experience and everyone kind of got what we were going for. So therefore, uh, it, it felt very communal. I think we were all really excited to be a part of something. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was, it was like a magical experience that you can never repeat because after you do it once, you can maybe do it twice, which we did. And then after that, everyone's like, okay, I will never work for free ever again for you guys. Um, (laughs) Thank you for the memories. See you later. Yeah, I mean, on top of the budget constraints, for a $10,000 movie, this can't be anybody's full-time job, right? You had to – how long did it take you guys to make this movie, you know, working around people's schedules and their day jobs and their lives? Like what kind of process was that? So it was actually – it was four. It was 14 days straight. Um, We did it in the summer. We had a lot of teachers work on it. They had summers off and they were able to dedicate some time. And then we had people who kind of came back and forth, but it was a scheduling nightmare. We, every night after shooting, we would hop on my computer and figure out how we can move things around to 
uh, capture everything because it was just hard. People had to work, and that was totally understandable. Uh, our second movie was way worse. It was 35 Nights <laughs> in Salem, Massachusetts, oh, and again, goodness. no one got paid, and people were working full-time jobs. Hysteria, and right? Yeah. yeah that's it was just – it was a little too much. <laughs> Oh, man, I cannot imagine. I, I was going to ask you about Mass Hysteria because it, it does look like – I was wondering whether you were sort of going for like a like a Scorsese or Wes Anderson thing where the same people sort of appear in your, your movies over and over again. And I was – I recognized some of the faces from, from Mass Hysteria. But, but were they your friends before you started working on these projects? Yeah. 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 Basically, everyone on Youthman almost – pretty much exclusively went to the same college. Um, we got some new faces in mass hysteria, but, um, you know, we generally have this pool of, you know, great people who we can, um, we can count on to be, you know, to give up a significant (laughs) portion of their lives to, (laughs) to help us out. Um, and, uh, you know, we like working with people we like, you know, um, that's always a bonus of, you know, enjoying what you do is that you find people who also enjoy what you do and they want to work with you. And it's a, you know, it was, it was so easy to read, like write for people, you know, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. you already know their personality, their style. And it's like, oh, they're the character. Perfect. Here's what they're saying. <laughs> I do need to know that about, uh, we already know which character Jeff is. Yep. Because he literally plays the character. But Chris, which character is you? I am not in Youth Men at all. I was actually living in Colorado at the time of filming. So oh, he means yeah. theoretically, Chris. Theoretically. Come on. Theoretically? Yeah. Gosh. Oof. I, I guess like a combo of Stephen and Thomas. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't I was, <laughs> I was You're my I was, brother. I was quiet, but I knew all the Bible verses, you know. Um, and I wasn't dumb enough to be, uh, to be the jock Mark. character. So <laughs> maybe a combo of those two was, uh, was, was me. Yeah. I was, gonna say, in, uh, I was a combo. I would call myself a combo of Mark without the guitar yep. and Steven's rap at the end. Nice. Ooh, that was a great rap, by the way. That was pretty great. Because, you know, a story from my own church experience involves learning for a, a mission trip to Guatemala, learning all, uh, all that I need is you, Jesus, in Spanish. And then, so that was junior high. And then like 10 years later, breaking it out at a small church barbecue in rural Nebraska <laughs> as a rap with only a drum kit behind me. Impromptu at a church barbecue. <laughs> well, I want to do it right now, Jake. Can you do it right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got it. <laughs> I mean, it involves a whole call and response thing. I don't have a drum <laughs> kick. But you know what? You guys put me on the spot. So, todo lo que necesito es tu Cristo. Todo lo que necesito es tu. Desde temprana, en la mañana, hasta tarde, en la noche. Todo lo que necesito es tu Cristo. Todo lo que necesito es tu. That has stuck with you. Wow. It stuck. That was incredible. Oh, that was great. That was yeah, very cool. That's a sequel idea. You trying to <laughs> trying to sing Spanish 
<laughs> I mean, a mission strip has to happen in the sequel. Yeah, <laughs> a mission strip for sure, for sure. That was as you guys in the movie, as there was the scene where they were doing the ropes course as a youth group. Literally, did that ropes corp ropes course as a team building activity for that same mission strip in junior high, like passing <laughs> wow. the bodies through the spider web. And uh, oh, it's fantastic! And, like I literally got chastised because I was making jokes to help some of the kids like who were struggling with their attitude. It was, you know, this whole weekend of training we did for the mission strip. And so there were some kids that were struggling. And so I was sort of trying to be funny and joke with them and get their spirits back up. But I got, I got come down on hard by the leaders for being irreverent. And yeah. <laughs> maybe, you should have, wow. maybe you should have just sworn like Chris did. Yeah. I should have dropped a couple of F-bombs. Some yeah. truth, truth bombs. Scenes, scenes like that really, really hit me right exactly in my own experience. So I really yeah, appreciate incredible. the way you captured that. That's yeah. awesome. I've, I do have to ask you, you know, obviously when you put this much time into a project, when you, you, you mentioned that this had gone, this had been sort of a work that you had been working on for years, right? And then not to mention just the time it took to film. It obviously takes a huge amount of dedication to put any sort of movie together and then to throw it out into the world for people to judge and for people like me who critiques movies for a living to judge. That's got to be super intimidating, right? It, was that something that, that you were worried about as you, as you sort of threw open this, this, this labor of love that you'd spent so much time and, and asked for people, you know, what do you think about this? Terrifying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely terrifying. I mean, we we have like a really weird story in terms of how the movie actually came out. The movie was finished years ago. Like we filmed in 2017. It was done in 2018. It premiered at a festival in 2018. It played at a bunch of festivals, won a bunch of like audience awards and we got distribution offers. And then we had music rights issues that led to a 2021 release where we had wow. to basically replace every song in the movie, including one that was uh, baked into the audio in the van. There's like a whole mm. different song that plays in the van. And because of that, we couldn't re-record the scene. We actually dubbed over everyone's lines and we had someone make a new song that matched our lips. And <laughs> that led us to like, that was a, that was a COVID experience wow. where we were like, oh, okay, man. let's finish this movie. Um, and so I think for us, a lot of it was like, you know, let's just get the movie out there because it's been so long and we don't want it like we actually really love this movie and we didn't want it to like sit and just never get out there. Uh, and so we just yeah. decided we're like, OK, we'll self-release this. And through doing that, we actually sold the rest of the movie to a different company that kind of worked out. It was fantastic. I mean, like the, the critiques are are harsh sometimes. And I mean, we, it, the, the reviews have been generally positive. There's there's like Internet trolls, which is like a thing that like. You know, IMDb just gets like crushed with internet trolls. And, I, you know, I posted on like some forums. I was like, what is this? And everyone's like, oh, yep, happens to every movie. Because, you know, our movie's only available in the US. Well, now it's not, but it was only available in the US at the time. And we were getting all one star reviews from India and China. And I was like, how are they getting this movie? And, <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I worried about it for a hot minute. And then I was like, okay, uh, Chris and Ariello. Probably were like Jeff needs to chill out. It's not that serious. <laughs> well, it, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm competitive. Serious, you do need to chill out. 
It's a great <laughs> passage to be pirated in India. I know. We I was kind of like, Yeah, it was. That's a bummer, but it's, it's also ridiculous. like, yeah, you know, it's like a feather in your cap now. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, I think yeah, welcome for, to show experience for Jeff, Jeff and Ariel, we, we wrote it together and then they went and made it. And I didn't, I didn't see it until they had a first cut, you know? And I was like, what is going to happen? Like, what are they going to um, send back to me? And, you know, when I got it, it was, it was such like a, it was so good to see what I imagined on screen. Like it was, it was just like such a wonderful experience. And then I was like, Oh, like, do I like it? Because, you know, I wrote it, you know, like <laughs> these are my characters. Like maybe that's a problem. And then, you know, we, we had such a great experience in the former Fort Worth, Jeff, the Fort Worth film festival was like the first, um, Lone Star, not Lone Star. That's it. Um, not hometown kind of film fest and lots of big movies there that year. And, uh, and even though we like, we didn't have as big a theater as everyone else got, but we got the audience choice award. And that was like, like, Oh my, like awesome. Like we, like, this is, this is amazing. Like we were blown away. We were, we were screaming in front of all these, we were wearing our youth men sweaters and we're all these well-dressed you know, movie people. <laughs> we, we're, we're in our jam sport sweaters running up on stage. And, uh, you yeah, know, that's when I knew I was like, all right, we got something that like really actually connects with people. And, you know, regardless of uh, budgetary um, visuals, um, it, it hits home uh, w- without the, you know, the special effects. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who wants to write a screenplay or direct a movie or make a movie? What advice would you give to young filmmakers? You know, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out myself every single day. But uh, at the current moment, I would say it's a roller coaster. Like the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And play the marathon, like play the long game, because it's just it's really hard. Honestly, it's, you know it's a lot of rejection. And I know that's like a cliche people say, but try and wear it as like a badge of honor as much as possible. And I would say like, if you want to write, write and read every single day, like write a page a day, write a paragraph a day, just honestly do it because, you know, Chris and I hold each other accountable and we, we, we're writing as much as possible all the time and sending each other stuff all the time. And if you have someone who you really trust, who won't judge you, who you could throw bad ideas at, it's, it's a really like magical experience and you see each other grow together in terms of film. Like it's cliche to say, just go out and make it, but you honestly should because one, it's really fun early in the day. Like you don't recognize it as fun because you'll always see someone doing better than you. And that really stinks. But if you can enjoy it with your friends, I promise you, you'll look back and think like, man, it was nice when everyone would work for free and like wanted to do these things. Right. Like, after that, you have to find money, and that's real hard. <laughs> so, you know, just enjoy it, I guess. Chris, your wisdom. <laughs> Chris writes novels also, so he won't tell you. I'll tell you. Oh, I'm so impressed. You're my hero now. Thank you. <laughs> um, I would say that um, I had never written a, a full-length screenplay before, um, but I'd written shorts before and little things and stuff. And 
you know, when I first, I was like, oh my gosh, like I've never written a screenplay before. I can't, I can't do this. I was forgetting that I had been doing things like it for a long time. And it, it is a, it's a, it's a craft and it's something you build upon. And, you know, one day you'll be ready to do it. Um, the first day may not be that day, but if you keep like, we've had failed projects before, you know, um, and that's the learning process and you just do have to keep doing it. You can't just set out to write, um, your first like short and expect it to be like, it might not be good, and, but that's not a problem. Like, that's that's just something fixable. Um, you can write something bad that you you you're like. Oh, I tried it. It didn't work. It's gone. We're, you got to be able to move on to the next one. And um, you just being like a quarterback, right? If you throw an interception, yeah. you got to yeah. be willing to take the pass again. You, yeah. You'd be surprised at how much um, you are able to do when you actually set your mind to it. Um, I, I was surprised, oh, but looking back, I was like, oh, I did lay those building blocks before I did that. Even if I didn't think I was ready, you know, sometimes it's time to jump in. So a question I had for you guys was, what was something about making a mockumentary style movie that was more challenging than you expected? Or what surprised you about making this type of movie? Because I think there's a sense sometimes as an audience member that you see the shaky cam and you're like, oh, yeah, these can be made on a low budget. It's not that hard, like, to, to some degree. Like, what was it about making a, a mockumentary and doing the humor of a mockumentary that surprised you guys? I mean, Chris, it might be different for you. I So I, I edited the film. And I think in the edit room is where I realized the difficulties of a mockumentary. But I also realized the forgiveness of it where... I also edited our second movie with a friend of mine and, you know, unlike a traditional movie, you have to be really thought out planned and your shot list hopefully is from like an editor's mind as well. So you can kind of go in knowing what you're doing in the edit room, but on a mockumentary, you're kind of finding the cut as you're watching. Cause you're watching really long takes. Like there was 30 minutes cut out of the beginning of this movie and it's just really long takes. We had a whole wind in the willows game that we played and like lots of, <laughs> different things that just got cut out because we were trying to get the movie moving along. And that was the hardest part for me. It was just like cutting out stuff because the nice thing is there's so much improv. There's so much like interaction with the style that every scene felt funny to us, but like really like stripping out the the fat and being like, what's the story here was really hard. I found it really difficult. Uh, It is really cheap to make because you point a camera and it's really forgiving. I could jump cut. And people are like, oh, I guess that's like cool. You know, it doesn't have to be like a seamless transition every single time. I think there's a lot of work done to like hopefully make it not super jarring. But that would be my like takeaway from that. Chris, you may have a different, I guess you weren't well, on set too that, many days. But. You know, when you start out writing a mockumentary, when you're like stuck, like you don't know what the next scene is. You're just like, oh, talking head, easy. And it's so easy to make talking head jokes and exposition. Like it's, it's so easy to just put exposition and some guy who's just telling you what's happening. And 
I think like once you, once you got to like the end of that, you're like, oh wait, we didn't actually tell. A, we just had people talk at people. Like the story is not supposed to happen in the talking app. Yeah. It's supposed to happen in the in the scenes. Um, so the Game of Thrones thing. Yeah, you have to remember that like it, it is an easier form of telling a basic story, but like the the real interactions between people are the, the core um, of what you want to uh, you know get across um, rather than the exposition. I will say too, it's very forgiving for actors because not that actors look better because it's a mockumentary, but I think like there's a very there's a very different feel on set when you're setting up lights, you're turning a camera around and you're pointing it right in someone's face and it's very mm-hmm. poised and someone's like, All right, ready, action, and you're going and you know this presence and every crew member's watching you before the next setup. I think it creates a dynamic of actors feeling not like they're able to just be in the scene because it's just you know there's a camera in your face it takes years of practice to get better at that and i think a mockumentary just feels like you know what was nice about my character was like i barely knew my lines on set and that was just like a joke because <laughs> i'm the worst but it probably helped other actors because they're like jeff just like comes over and starts talking about nonsense and they had to react to me because i was messing them up so I think it, it really created like a, like an organic feel for everyone. And I think I, the one thing I'm really proud of is like, uh, I love the rest of the youth group's performances. I really love how everyone feels. I feel like it really comes across well and I'm super proud of everyone for that. It, it feels like you had some really talented actors who really dug into their characters a lot. And it, it does feel, I don't know how much of it was improv, how much of it was you, Chris, but it does feel like there was just, these characters felt real to me, exaggerated, but real, you know? Mm-hmm. I would I say about 50-50, 50-50. Really? The, the, the story, every story hit is what we wrote, but the actors, and as you heard, Jeff refusing to learn lines, you know. <laughs> refusing. Yeah, they knew, they knew what the scene <laughs> entailed, and then they were allowed to go for it. And when we work, we have a lot of improvisers on the cast. Um, when they're allowed to go, they, they actually tend to shine um, better than what I write, which is annoying, but uh, it turned <laughs> out good in the end. All right. One last question for you guys is we, you sort of talked about a sequel and the mission strip. I know that was mostly a joke, but aside from Youth Men 2, where I come on to star with you guys is, you know, part of this- <laughs> Youth group going on an overseas mission trip. Only one Pastor D is allowed in there. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't say I had to play Pastor D. If I shave this beard, I look really young. (laughs) (laughs) You know, joking, not joking. But what are you guys working on next? Is there anything you can give us a teaser on as far as the project that you've got under your your fingers right now that you're massaging, you're turning into something? Is there any teaser you want to give us here about what's coming next for you guys? (laughs) Jeff? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I always have a lot of things. I have a lot of plates spinning always. But yeah, you know, Chris, Ariel, and myself have projects that we work on together, and then we have projects that we all kind of like do individually and all those things. Uh, for myself personally, I am in pre-production for a feature that's like a comedy horror found footage movie that is being hopefully shot starting in October. 
And that's the project that kind of came through COVID. Uh, Chris and I have been working on a superhero movie that is like way, way bigger budget than anything we've done. And so that's like in the pipeline, but probably for the future, just because I think it needs like some top A-list talent. Usman 2 is like a very real joke that we have, but I think it's like a very funny concept. Um, I think Pastor D probably has to like get engaged, maybe married, maybe divorced, maybe go on a missions trip. Uh, all we know is that it starts with him working in Starbucks. That's where it begins. <laughs> Very cool. So your your found footage horror movie that doesn't that doesn't feature killer rabbits, does it? <laughs> no, no animals will be hurt during production. It's good to know. Good to know. Listen, it's for people who are wanting to to connect with youth men. Where what would be the best way? Where would be the ideal way for them to connect with this movie? Social media is fun. We've, we've taken a little bit of a break, mostly because I think we, we got a little burnt out for a bit. But uh, Pastor D has an Instagram. He also has a TikTok and he gives life <laughs> advice. He's also available Doesn't... to be a, like a virtual pastor for a bit. Oh, um, so he is he's available. <laughs> it's uh, at Youth Pastor D, D-E-E-E, three E's. um so he's available there and then on facebook it's uh facebook.com slash youthmanfilm youthmanfilm.com is our website and you can everything's accessible from there so that's probably the easiest way to do it thank you guys so much for for spending a little time with us this was it was so much fun talking with you guys and uh man i'm looking forward to uh to seeing the superhero movie this found footage horror movie those are both my love language. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those. And I'm going to force Paul to make this year's Halloween film, Mass Hysteria. It's a <laughs> Halloween film. There we go. It is. Well, Last year it comes out on Shudder. So if you have Shudder. It's true. All right. There you go, Paul. It's, it's, it's written. You can't make me watch any other horror film. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love All it right. when stuff like this happens. I, last year, I let him force me to watch Hubie Halloween, which was terrible. It was, oh, not Sean Salem, like two weeks after us. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we'll probably really? see Adam Sandler in the background of some of your shots. And see, that's I'm, that's, my goal is to actually get uh, Jake to watch The Exorcist. That is why. Oh, I so good. So good, Jake. So good. It's incredible. Yeah. It's an incredible movie. It's not even scary. look i didn't even like horror movies like four years ago and like literally when we made mass hysteria ariel and i joked because we were in the horror community talking about this movie and they would always reference movies and we're like i don't know i haven't seen it we're like does Shaun of the dead count and they were like uh not really i was just gonna say the only horror films that i actually like is the cornetto trilogy so i mean they're incredible (laughs) And I was going to add, like, when I watched the Mass Hysteria trailer, I was like, I'm getting a little bit of Hot Fuzz vibes. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> tried. We were like, oh, what can we do for, like, $50,000? Could we do, like, a Hot Fuzz? And the answer is yes, but it just looks worse. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't have, you know, Simon Pegg. Yeah, it doesn't have Simon Pegg. That's, you know, but if he watches it, you know, shout out Simon Pegg. We, we're big fans. <laughs> yes, we are. Exactly. Thanks, guys, so much for joining us. I'm looking forward uh, to folks checking out the film, as well as myself checking out Mass Hysteria come October and being in Youth Men 2. I'm very excited to have been <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Verbal contract. I kind of. Jake, 
Count it. I want you for that song alone. I do. Yeah, That'd seriously. Amazing. Like a nice, like, yeah, in gotta the happen. Like, this guy is doing it. I'm in. I'm in. Thank All you right, guys done. for having us. Welcome to the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. It's been a journey. We've gone from nightmarish, cuddly bunny rabbits to nightmarish youth camps in the woods. (laughs) And now it's time for the happiest segment, the most least important thing. Or it's not always the happiest segment. Paul, which is it going to be for you today? Do you choose happiness or do you choose some somberness Ish. You know what? Speaking of terrifying animals and, you know, snaky type of people in youth camps. Interesting. There is a venomous snake on loose. As we record this podcast, there is a venomous snake loose in North Carolina's capital, Raleigh. It is a zebra snake from Africa, and it is considered very dangerous. But here's the thing. Here's what makes it the most least important thing, because it seems like when you look at the headlines, it's a big deal, right? Yeah. Well, but they just say there is this venomous snake on the loose. They sure. I sounds, sounds picture it rampaging around like a gigantic bunny. Yeah. But no, what the, I think is very significant about this is that there are actually six venomous snakes that are native to North Carolina. You've oh. got, the copperhead you've got the yep. copper mouth yep. you've got three types of rattlesnakes out there an eastern coral snake all of them i think are more dangerous than this zebra snake that's on the loose because zebra snakes they never kill anybody they just make your skin swell up they cause pain blistering and some skin damage it doesn't oh. sound like like i would be much more scared of a cotton mouth than a zebra snake yeah. i can't say that they never kill anybody but you know, because I'm I'm not that familiar with zebra snakes, but but they don't generally kill anybody. Exactly. So you are really really worried about this one snake. When in reality, in Raleigh, there's probably hundreds of dangerous snakes lurking in the bushes all the time. That are much more dangerous. So much more dangerous. There you go. No need to worry about the zebra snake. If you see the zebra snake, just invite it over for dinner. Yeah, give it, it a good little pet. Yeah, exactly. Now, and don't listen to me because I don't want that coming back on my head. <laughs> Some idiot goes and pets a zebra snake and said, I heard it on this podcast. I'm officially saying that was a joke. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah, don't, don't pet the zebra snake. Paul, we didn't, sh- we didn't swap any information about what our most least important things were. So this segue is going to feel very planned, but it's not. <laughs> Who hates snakes more than any- anybody? Who hates snakes more than anybody? Would that yeah. be you, Jake? No. Indiana Jones. Oh, of course. Of course, snakes. Indiana Jones. Why did it have to be snakes? Indiana Jones hates snakes. Indiana Jones also was in the news recently because a Harrison Ford-worn fedora from the Temple of Doom just sold for $300,000 during a prop store auction in Los Angeles, Paul. Goodness gracious, $300,000. Now, that sounds like a lot of coin for 
a fedora. I'm not gonna yeah. lie to you. No doubt. But I did want to I did want to 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 do two things here. One, I wanted to note that this was actually a disappointment for whoever was selling it because Paul in 2015 a Harrison Ford worn fedora from Raiders of the Lost Ark sold for five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Goodness I mean, gracious! That fits wow. Temple of Doom. Not as good of a movie as Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, that's true. So my question for you is twofold, Paul. Number one, five years from now when they sell the uh, Last Crusade fedora, how much do you think that will go for? And you have to you have to give me that number based on you know its relative – the movie's value right. relative to the others. Right, exactly. And then after that, I want to know how much you – which fedora you would buy and what's the most you would pay for it? Who? Boy, I would okay. So, first question first. Yes. Last Crusade, definitely better than Temple of Doom. Definitely worse than Raiders of the Lost Ark. So that would put it at exactly four hundred thousand dollars, right? That, that, that's easy enough. I yeah. get that math. I understand it. Yeah, I think that uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that fedora, would probably go for seventy-five cents. Like maybe you'd have to pay seventy-five cents to somebody to haul it for you. <laughs> Maybe you could throw it in with uh, with the the leather jacket worn by you know what's his face? <laughs> what's his face? Harrison Ford? <laughs> no, not not Harrison Ford. Oh, Shia LaBeouf. Uh, yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, exactly. He. Uh, maybe you could just do like a twofer for that. There you go. You know? I think that would be great. As far as what I would pay for it, I would definitely pay more than what we make for this podcast. Definitely pay more than that. Um, I but man, hundreds of thousands of dollars for yeah. a fedora. Yeah, what's the most you'd pay for it? Let's, like I, if I, I had like a would, if you were in an auction that started at a dollar, yeah, where would you drop out? Honestly, I would drop out. I would drop out at eighty dollars because. Okay. Yeah, because it, it was worn by Harrison Ford in one of my – well, actually, my very favorite movie. Your number one film of all time. Exactly. So I would definitely bid $80 for it. But, man, what are you going to do with Harrison Ford's fedora once you have it? I mean, are you going to put it on like a mannequin head and, and every time somebody walks in, you're going to say, this is Harrison Ford's fedora? It just seems like – you would eventually throw it in your closet, and I already have a fedora in my closet. Wouldn't you just wear it all the time? No, because that would that would my sweat would mingle with Harrison Ford's, and that seems like it would be isn't, not right. Isn't that the dream? <laughs> <laughs> Scratch that. That's weird. That's, that came out weirder than I expected. That was really that was awkward. Yeah, yeah, we're just going to move right along and say it's uh, been nice talking with y'all. We appreciate you hanging out with us. You can always come hang with out with us in between shows on our blog or on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Nailed it!